So tonight, oh, sorry, I should tell you who I am. My name is John Elmore. I have a new life in Christ. I'm recovering from alcoholism, fear of man. And this past week, I would say just like giving in to my appetite, just like gluttony. It was a, it was a road trip and I just like let it go, man. <laughs> Too much. So we are continuing tonight in Romans. We're, we're walking through Romans um, as our teaching prior to the testimonies each week. Last week, Grant Wilkie took us through Romans 4 and 5. The righteous will live by faith. There's nothing we could do to earn our way to heaven as he like smashed that piggy bank if you were here and said that is a broken, impossible system. And so now on the heels of the righteous will live by faith, it's like the first question that comes into Romans 6 is like, well, if grace abounds, then we can just like keep sinning, right? Like, like that's what we do. And what I'm gonna walk you through today in Romans chapter six is three movements. And the first that you're gonna see is that you are not better, you're new if you're in Christ. You're not better, you're new. The second is that you are now an instrument of righteousness. And then thirdly, Paul leaves us with the gospel in Romans 6.23. So to begin, not better, new. When I was in high school, I didn't grow up here in case any of you are trying to connect the dots, but I'm, I'm, I'm just like driving through country roads with a buddy of mine. We'd like go hiking in random places and we pull over to this country road. We get out and we see a, a graveyard, like tombstones kind of in the woods. And so we're like kind of walking through there, like, you know, what's gonna be like old civil war era or whatever. And all of them were super old, couldn't even make it out some of the names. And then we get to these two that were like pristine. They were brand new headstones. And so we're curious, we're like, what are these doing here? Like family plot from a long time ago and somebody chose this and, we, and we're looking at it and we're like, okay, so that's like a mom and a daughter. Wait, wait, what? And we're looking at the headstone and the date and like confirming the date that it is today. And what we were standing in front of were two headstones with future death dates, like a month from when we were standing there. And it freaked us out because we're like, dude, this is like murder, suicide. Like what is going on? And we bombed back into the car and like hauled from there. And then we're telling our friends the story. We're in high school. We're like, you're not going to believe what we found over here. This place, there's two, this is like some kind of planned death. Like it's a mom and the daughter and there's, and this girl pulls us aside. She's like, hey, I need to talk to you guys. We're like, what? You, you, you want to go see it? Like spook freak show? Come on, you're in. She's like, you have to stop talking about that. We're like, why? She said, well, my, my, my dad, he worked for the county. She said, what's going on is that um, there was a man who tried to kill this woman and her daughter. And so he went to prison for attempted murder. And he's been writing her these letters saying, when you get out or when I get out, I'll finish the job. It wasn't enough to press charges again, but it was like enough that they're like, when he gets released, he's coming after them to, to finish the job. And so straight up witness relocation program. They made fake deaths of the woman and her child. Tombstone got the local newspaper to do like an obit for her, mailed it to him in prison. The people that you're after, they died in a car, ra car crash. Like they're, they're gone, they're dead. And then take the mom and daughter, drop them somewhere else, new name, new identity, so that if and when that guy gets released for attempted murder, because he wouldn't get in life, he'd come out and see like, yep, they're done, dead, while they go free. That's how Romans 6 begins. 
Romans 6 begins that you were a slave to sin under the control of Satan. And what had to happen, the only way out, is for you to die. That you, spiritually, were dead in your sins and trespasses and you had to be crucified with Christ, buried, and then raised again, not better, but new. It's spiritual witness relocation. The God's like, the old Jew who was a slave to sin and slave to Satan, they're dead. They're declared dead, crucified with Christ, buried. Now you've been raised again. And you're not better, you're new. I've given you a new identity. You're now in Christ. You're hidden in Christ. You're his forevermore. And so when Satan comes knocking like, I know you, you're like, oh, no, no. (laughs) I know I look the same. Not me. Not me anymore. Got a new identity. I don't, I don't answer to you anymore. I'm not yours anymore. I don't do what you say. You got the wrong number, wrong door, wrong person. It's, in, it's not me. The person you're looking for, they're dead, actually. Crucified with Christ. I don't have to obey you anymore. It's spiritual witness relocation. Here it is in Romans chapter six, verse four. Listen. We were buried. I mean, if you think about what we walked up on with those tombstones. Think about this. We were buried. Buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Why? Why did that have to happen? In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Not in betterness of life, not like self-improvement, life hack program, but the, 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 the old one who was a slave to sin and Satan, crucified dead, and then raised again new new identity, and free. That is the first movement in Romans chapter six. Then therefore, as a result of this, because we have this new life, he's like, but there's still this wrestle with the sin, with with the sin nature, the flesh, and the spirit. So this is a new thing for you. You're now in Christ. What do you do with your life? And so what he's gonna say is, is like you can do good or you can do bad. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave and you used your body, he's going to call them instruments, like your body as an instrument for unrighteousness. Now that you're in Christ, you use your body as instruments for righteousness. You do good with what God has given you and your body and your mind and your words and everything. It was used for bad. Now it's meant for good. That's what he's going to say in this middle section of, uh, of Romans 6. Now, uh, for all of you like super amped up security people in the room, I'm about to lift a machete. So this is a sermon illustration, not a threat. I went to Haiti. Uh, I spent a summer there in Haiti in 2008. Lived in, uh, at an orphanage. We were there doing a, a malnutrition program for malnourished kids. And when I get to Haiti, I'd never been before ever in my life. And you get off the plane, you're in Port-au-Prince, major metropolitan city. It's just kind of like, okay. But then you get out of port, Port-au-Prince, and you're out in like the smaller towns and whatnot, and we would go like uh, to find these malnourished children. We'd be walking like through the, the, the forest and bush and, in order to, to find these people that were literally living in stick huts and their kids just like dying of malnutrition. So we're gonna go and tell them. And as we're walking through, I mean, it's just like dudes walking with two-foot swords, and it's so alarming. You're like, where am I? Like everyone has a two-foot sword. And it was such a common thing because they're an agricultural nation. Like so much 
of their income is derived by like mangoes, plantains. It's just agricultural. And so it'd be the equivalent of us like walking around with a shovel or a rake if you lived in like some farming community. They've just got a machete so that they can cut down things. I mean, they would use them as tools, as flathead screwdrivers. It was like, it was the Swiss army knife of Haiti. But it was terrifying until I realized, oh, that's just like, that might as well be their briefcase. They're just going to work. It's not a sword. It's what they're using to get mangoes and coconuts and whatever else. Until one day, I am, uh, we have these little gospel tracts. Not, not much is written in Haitian Creole, so I got these gospel tracts and little Bibles, and we'd go through the bush and, and hand them out to people. Mwegen, um, un petit bib pu'u. I have a little Bible for you. And we're going up the mountain, and I've got my eight-year-old uh, translator, and <laughs> we're like walking, and we turn the corner up this mountain. I can still see it in my mind. And he's like, he just like stops and starts backing up. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, he's like, we gotta go back. We gotta go back. And I'm like, no, come on, let's go give him these Bibles. Cause there were like four men under a tree. And he's like, no, no, we need to leave. And I'm like, no, no, tell them that we have little Bibles for you. He's like, we have to go. And as I'm looking a little closer, they're like doing this, you know, kind of like waving it. Like, and he says, they say if you come one foot closer, they're gonna chop you into bits. And I'm like, we should go, we should go. We should go right now. We should run, in fact. And here's the deal. This is an amoral object. It's not moral, it's not immoral, it's amoral. It's without morality. The only difference that this inanimate object has is who is in control of it. Those four men in control of it meant a lot of bad for me. Every other person that I walked past that entire summer who had a machete, it was fine because they had no evil intent. It was just a tool. It was a tool for righteousness, to, to farm with, to cultivate with. In the same way, scripture says, you have an instrument and it's your body and you can use it for unrighteousness. And here, you should think about like sleeping with your girlfriend as you say you want to lead her in purity or, or drugs or drunkenness, which is what I was given to, or porn, or the hookup culture, or, or starving your body to try to win the affections of a man to think that you might look better in a certain way, or whatever you might do, the words that you can use to destroy someone, to tear them down, what you might post on social media. I mean, it's just like all the things that you can do with your body for unrighteousness, to hurt yourself and others, or you use it to cultivate. You use it for good. You use your words to build up. You use your body to like, your mouth to share the gospel, to encourage somebody to go and share the gospel with others, to help someone. All the things that you can do with your body. God has given you a body. And in the same way, there's no neutral to it. It's who is holding it. Who is in control of it? Is it the flesh in control of it? Or is it the spirit in control of it? And he's saying, now that you're in Christ, now that you're not better, but that you're new, you have an instrument and it's an instrument of righteousness. You're to use your body, all of your faculties for the good and glory of God. And it'll be good for you, bring glory to him and be good for others. It says this in Romans 6, 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Listen, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, 
but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. There is no neutral. Every single minute of every single day, you will be using yourself for an instrument of unrighteousness or an instrument of righteousness. And it doesn't depend on just like your, your, your gumption or trying harder. It's am I being led by the spirit or by the passions of my flesh? And then thirdly, it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And the gospel is not just for you at your moment of salvation, but for every single day as you walk through this life. Jesus doesn't just save us from hell forevermore, but rather he saves us from living a living hell in this life that as we walk by the Spirit, we have that full abundant life that Jesus promised. Like I remember this messed me up as a kid because I'm like, well, I, I trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, so I won't go to hell. And then I got to follow his rules and I couldn't. And it was anything but the full abundant life. It was like this burdensome thing because I wasn't walking with him every single day. And here it is, it's bad news. It's really bad news to begin with. So all of you, well, many of you, um, you went to work today. It's Monday, you went to work. And because you went to work, you will get something in return. You will be paid something. You have something coming to you because of what you did earlier today. In the same way, Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. What we get, it's really, really bad news. What we get because of what we did, not work, but sin, is not money, but death. God's like, hey, you sin, I'm a holy God, I can't be in the presence of evil, so when you sin, you get death. In this life, you get relational, physical, spiritual, mental death as it creeps into you from sin, and you will get death forevermore, separated from me in the goodness of God forever in a very real place called hell. But God doesn't leave us there. He's too good. He's too good. And so he gives us good news, which we wouldn't want apart from the bad, apart from the awareness that we have sin and we deserve death. He says, but the gift of God, which means you can't earn it. Here, you earn it. What you do because of sin, you earn death. Here, you can't earn this. It's as if I just like took my 19, <laughs> well, 21-year-old car, I was like, here you go, man. You earned, you didn't earn it, I gave it to you. Like, Emily, you do anything to get that car? Please give it to me, I need it back. She's like, I don't want your 21-year-old piece. But it's a gift. All she had to do to receive it, she's got a good, good catch too, she was just like. All she had to do was receive it. There's a gift there. It's a gift being extended to you. She can't pay me for that. I, didn't, I wasn't like, well, hey, if you work it off after a certain amount of years, if you follow all my rules, it's just a gift that I would say that God is saying the gift of God is eternal life. And in this day and age, so much nonsense with many paths up the mountain of like, well, you, your truth is your truth and that's good for you and you do you and all that nonsense. He says there is eternal life and it is a gift that's given to you. Every other religion says, no, you earn it by doing a good life. And maybe when you die, you'll find out if, you know, the, the scale tipped. 
Christianity alone says, no, there, there, you can't earn it. You could never earn your way out of the sin that leads to death, but God is extending you a gift, and it's not found in many paths of the mountain. It's found in one person. It says, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who was over 200 prophecies in the Old Testament, all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. No other holy book, which are not holy, have any prophecies about the Messiah to come except this. It's an impossible reality. But the God is pointing to us. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that was foretold. But he's not just the Messiah. He is also Lord. It means master. The word there is doulos. It means that we are um, we are a bondservant, sorry, kurios is master, and then we are his bondservant, the one who willingly put ourselves in subjection to him because he's good. I tried following my way. It led to alcoholism. Three doctors tell me that I was gonna die if I kept drinking. So there's that, and, and you will be a master to one. You'll either be a master to sin and Satan, or you'll be a master to Jesus. Pick one. There is no neutral. This leads to death, this leads to life. In eternal life, it's not just heaven when you die. It is for today. The full abundant life that Jesus says, yes, it's heaven when you die. But in this life, the burden of sin falls off. You're given joy and hope and purpose. Eternal life. And that's what we're talking about here, regeneration. As it talks about all of this, when it says like slave to sin and all of this, I, like, I was reading Romans 6 one night and, and I like slid my Bible to the side, I pulled my keyboard forward and I feel like the Lord gave this to me as like a way of response to the one who was hunting me, the one who was the attempted murderer against me with the, the witness relocation. It says, you say that I'm a slave, Satan? Yeah, you used to own me. Tease, puppet, and control me. You promised to spoil me rotten, but seems like rotten's all I've gotten. Far worse by your curse, not a limo, but a hearse. But I tried and imbibed and relied on a feeling like a junkie getting high, needing more, and then reeling. Your lies were crafty and always sounded brand new, even though time and time again I swore I was through. It was like daily amnesia, and sweet poison was your feature. Like a caged, abused beast, always promising the feast. You kept me hungry and longing for more, but you never loved me. I was only your whore. And so you fed me and misled me just enough to keep me loyal, making me think that somehow, someday, through all my inner toil, I could be freed from this disaster. You cruel, addicting master. Like a mistreated woman who knew no other life, I went back to the jerk despite all of the strife. But while you were sleeping... Another came knocking, and he grabbed me by my life with all his crazy talking. He said that as a slave, there's only one way out, and that his way, the only way, was not a safe or easy route. His solution was to die, my heart pounding through my chest. I thought he came to rescue, but his answer was straight death. Then this man, like a father, smiled as he said, you'll no longer be a slave when your old master finds you dead. Then he took me in his arms and laid me down into the deep, spiritually suffocating. I tried to wrestle, but he would keep holding me under until I gave in. It was necessary for the slave of sin to give up my last breath until he verified my death. It was silent. 
Then his holy breath filled my chest, alive and knew the curse had left. It was no longer my old master's hour. He had no more power. He still tried calling, but I didn't have to listen because I, now I was new and I had a new mission. It was all about my king. I was rescued and redeemed. This couldn't happen on my own or by following some rules. It demanded a savior, not the counsel of fools. It required his death and mine as well, but it didn't stop there. Now I lived to tell that he rose again and thus so did I. He made me new. Never again will I die. My old master won't quit and still tempts me with thrill, but now I hate him because I know his intent is to kill. Now I won't go back to the patterns of old. I am a new slave, redeemed, I'm sold. I have a new master, one Christ, one Lord. Now to him I cry out when hungry, tired, or bored. You say that I'm a slave? Indeed, his solely. And this slave is now free and the result will be holy. My new master is good, loving, and just. His life leads to peace, if only you'll trust. In his life and death and rising again, he took your place and nailed all your sin to the cross and disarmed the enemy. He is the way, truth, and life eternally from one slave to another. Won't you come and see my Jesus breaks chains and sets the slaves free? And that is Romans 6. No longer a slave to sin. You are new, not better, but new. Use your life as an instrument for righteousness and the gospel is good today forevermore in the name of Jesus Christ. Tonight, we're gonna hear from Robin, who's a leader here in Regeneration, who has placed her faith in Jesus and now is using her life as an instrument of righteousness. Her husband's with us, who serves in great questions. Everybody, welcome to the stage, Robin.